Only two things are certain in life. Death and... Yeah, you knew that one. Let's read from Luke chapter number 20, beginning in verse number 20. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so, might deli- so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither accepteth thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt you me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful time singing with the church praises to you. Thank you for the doctrinal confessions and the reading, and now as we come to this time of the reading and the preaching of your word. We thank you for this. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would do the preaching today. Lord, I can't, but you can. And I'm asking that you will. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate the word to the, the hearts and the minds of your people. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And help us to grow. To become more and more like Christ. And to live for your glory in a way that looks to the world as what are, what are they so joyful about? How do they enjoy that so much? Or we want to live out what your word tells us the more than conquerors, victorious Christian life should be. So thank you that you've given us a guidebook. Help us to heed it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a unique portion of scriptures here is Jesus is closer than ever to the cross in this timeline of his life on earth and his ministry. And he's having these interactions with the Pharisees because we left off in uh, verse number 19 last week with these guys saying, we've got to get him. Look at verse number 19. The chief priests and the scribes, the same hour sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. So they They're angry with him. They're angry that he's speaking rebuke to them. They want to get him, but they're afraid of his popularity that the people would get them if they tried to get him. As we continue this morning in verse number 20, we find these Jewish leaders trying to trick Jesus through the use of spies. It says they watched him and they sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. So they want to cause Jesus to say something for which he could be arrested and tried by the Roman governor. And it, in this scene of events here, that would be Pontius Pilate. Their idea being if he arrests Jesus, we'll be off the hook. So if we can orchestrate this, we can sort of kill two birds with one stone. These spies that they're using here hope to lure Jesus into a situation that will suggest insurrection against Rome, forcing the governor to arrest him and to punish him. I want you to be aware of that theme as we get into these verses. We've already dealt with this a little bit. We're going to deal with it this morning and next Sunday as well. But don't forget the political climate in which they're operating in. And I want you to think of that up against our political climate 
And you should be able to compare and contrast what we might call biblical living then versus biblical living now. These spies want to manipulate the situation and cause the Romans to be the bad guys. In these following verses, we have a record of theological discourse covering questions about Caesar, questions about Moses, and questions about even David, which Jesus brings up here. Today, we're going to just look at this question about Caesar. Should we pay our taxes? Anybody else want to preach? <laughs> no, you can just say no and we can go home and be done. But that's not Jesus' answer. Now, they begin this with flattery. Verse 21. They ask him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. That's always nice to hear, isn't it? That's why preachers stand at the back on the way out, you know. It's so that you can, they can hear you say, what a great sermon that was. You did a good job today. These guys come to him with this flattery. They say, we know that you say and that you teach rightly. They take it even further. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. You give the truth. You cut it straight. There's some irony here in their flattery because while they're saying to him, neither accepteth thou the person of any, or you never show partiality, they're saying this to try to convince him to show some partiality. You have complete integrity. Will you, with your complete integrity, break up your integrity? Upset the Romans through it? And they come to Jesus with this yes or no question. Now, kids, I'll, I'll teach you a little something with your, with your parents. Don't say, can I have a snack? Instead say, can I eat an entire Reese's cup, yes or no? <laughs> now, what does that work? How does this work? Well, well, let's find this in the text. You didn't know the Bible had reasons for you to drink Coca-Cola and drink Reese's, did you? <laughs> they say, yes or no. Is it right by God's law for us to pay taxes to see you what, what they're doing here, they're adjusting. They're learning. They've already had discourse with Jesus and they've seen, I think they've come to see he, he's smarter than we are. He's wiser than we are. So we're going to do our best to come up with a question where it leaves no wiggle room for Jesus. Yes or no? No tricks. Just answer us directly. If he says yes, what is he guilty of? Is it... Let me get the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? If he says yes, it's lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar. Well, then in the Jewish sense of things, uh, from the biblical perspective, he's somewhat guilty of blasphemy. They've trapped him here. Worst case, they're hoping that this would ruin his popularity among the people and then they could, could trap him. But we know their trap is more for the Roman governor. So if he says yes, he's guilty. If he says no, well then to the Romans who are in power and in control of their area, well, he's guilty of insurrection. Wait, what do you mean you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar? We'll teach you. you. You will pay your taxes to Caesar. They'll put you to death otherwise. Verse 23, Jesus perceives their craftiness, Luke tells us. And he asks them, why do you tempt me? What they've done here is ask a loaded question. It's a tactic often used very effectively in our day. Kids getting back to you again. This is a loaded question presumes something not already in evidence. You, you go to your parents and say, can I have a snack? No. This is bad what I'm doing, isn't it? I thought it would have comic appeal, but now I'm feeling like a bad parent and a bad pastor for teaching you kids to be naughty. So I should change my 
Let me change my illustration. I was taught in freshman, not psychology, philosophy, a version of this question, and, and, and we'll use this here. I need a couple volunteers. Yeah, Ben, for sure. Let me get one more. All right, Drake, all right. You, just remember you asked for it. Okay. Ben, have you, yeah, y'all can stand. Ben, have you stopped beating your horse? Yes or no? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so you have been beating your horse. All right, you need to answer yes. Drake, have you stopped beating your horse? Yes or no? No. <laughs> You're supposed to answer yes. And if he says yes, sounds good, right? Now, Drake, do you own a horse? No. Ben, do you own a horse? All right, you can sit down, guys. Thank you. So you get the idea of what these chief priests and scribes here are doing to Jesus. And he, he initially responds addressing that. He says, why, why are you tempting me? That's a great way to go at him. He, he could say, let's talk about something else. He could say, get your Bibles out. He could say a lot of other things here that we might say in our own little Christianese. But initially he addresses the heart. He says, why do you want to tempt me? It's a perfect answer. In fact, verse 26 tells us, notice that. He says, and they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Now, I want to get back to his answer in a moment, but I don't want us to miss verse 26. There's some wisdom there. In fact, if you want more of that type of wisdom, the Proverbs are full of it. The book of Daniel, especially the first few chapters of Daniel, are full of this type of wisdom. We often want to leave those in our path, especially those who oppose our views, just as speechless. We want the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word to just, just kind of dumbfound them under faith. Well, there's some wisdom here. Jesus uses logic alongside their logic. He is philosophical as they have been philosophical. But mostly, we must not step past the fact that He operates in authority and power and not in emotion. We should operate this way. In faith... In the power of the Holy Spirit and under the authority of God's word. Too often we fear this is not enough. Well, I would say to you, church, in this regard, have faith. In your gospel witness, in your apologetics, have faith. Not in yourself, but in the, the word that's alive. And in the Holy Spirit whom God has sent to us as our help. Well, what answer did he give them? Verse 24 and 25, he says, show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? Who's on the penny for us now? Lincoln. All right. They answered and said, Caesar's. So on what would have been their version of a penny, they had the image of Caesar. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar's the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. So Jesus said simply, hand me some money. And he said, whose face is that? And they said, that's Caesar's face. So up against their question of should we pay our taxes to Caesar or not. He says, well, we'll just give to Caesar that which belongs to him. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but also be giving to God that which belongs to him. Their loaded question attempted to present a scenario of all or nothing. Just, just answer yes or no. We, we've heard your, your discourse. We've, we've heard you ramble on. We've heard you preach to the multitudes for, for so long that you had to feed them later. We just want a simple yes or no question, Jesus. We want to know where you're at on this. 
What do you really believe? Whose side are you really on here? Yes or no? Well, he explains very clearly and very fairly that where they're trying to pigeonhole him or trap him is not going to be the case. Give to Caesar that which he controls and you give to God that which God controls. Caesar's image is on the coin. Well, then you let Caesar have the coin. But God's image is where? People. God's image is on his people. So let the people be devoted to God. This is something we need to take to heart. This is something we need to live out. Everything belongs to God. Abraham Kuyper, maybe a familiar name to you, has a very famous quote. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. He will hold me fast. (laughs) Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. Why? Because we are his. The hymn writer, Babcock, wrote, This is my father's world. And don't ever let me forget that. Philip Ryken comments here, Our bodies belong to God. Our eyes, our ears, our hands, our instruments in the use of service to God. As we see the needs around us, listen to God's voice. Reach out with the compassion of Christ. Also, our homes belong to God. These are places that God has set apart for us to rest in His goodness and and to show hospitality. Our time belongs to God. Time is the most precious resource we have as humans, but God has given it to us as the canvas we have to paint His grace before the world. Our work belongs to God. It is service that we offer to the Lord. Our money belongs to God. Your money, your currency, your worth, whatever you want to put in there is is to be held loosely. To be used as God sees fit for the benefit of His kingdom. Because it all belongs to God. The God that demands we give everything to Him has already given everything to us. You see, to just preach the sovereignty of God and to to lord that over you can leave you as a human feeling, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. But if you think of it in the proper perspective that he went so far as to even shed his blood for you, what won't I give in exchange? It all belongs to him. What will you render to God for the sake of the Savior whose body was rendered to you? This is what Jesus is saying. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. Now be sure too what Jesus is not saying here. God's people ought not take Jesus' instruction as saying, obey Caesar at every point. Does he say that? No, he said whose face is on that. Okay, well if he wants to tax you on that currency, then you give him a tax of that currency. But he didn't just say blindly follow. And surely don't render to Caesar worship. Sproul says here, if Jesus were to say that they should obey Caesar at every point, again, he would be guilty of speaking blasphemy, for he would be suggesting that the Jewish people should worship Caesar. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, worship, devotion, obedience. Those things belong to God alone. 
So there's a line to be drawn here for the church. Now, I'm, I'm stepping now from biblical exposition to just modern application. What you need to understand from this particular passage, just in, if you're just going to read your Bible, is Jesus said, you're not going to trap me. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So in their day, yes, pay your taxes. But more importantly than that, is are you worshiping God because it all belongs to Him? But, but what do you and I do with this now? 2023, in, in the American church, are we occupied by Rome? Are we handled forcefully? No, we, we worship freely. If you're going to live off the American economy, well then you're going to use American currency, so certainly you should pay the tax that is in regards to that. But to go blindly along with all things American, especially government, is a misunderstanding of biblical living. Somewhere it's kind of crept into our minds that. And I'll tell you how it crept in. We we bought into this ideology of a Christian nation. You been to town lately? This is not a Christian nation. I'm sorry to say that because I love America. I'm proud to be an American. If, they, if, if I had to today, I would go and fight for our country and for the, these freedoms. I'm glad that we're able to gather like this today freely and worship our God. But if we're not careful, we, because of the premise of a Christian nation, I get we were founded on Christian principles, right? But, 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 but to take that in and just say, well, government good, we, we can't do this. There are prior generations that stood and fought against government, against king, over things that we would say are just tiny little things like a a three-cent tax on tea. I promised I wasn't going to do this. But I got to do it anyways. That's when all the rednecks are supposed to do what? (laughs) Sorry. I was telling Jack some of my sermon yesterday and he said... Dad, I predicted you're going to say, would you say this? And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> we bought fuel lately. Even if you want to, you could debate me and probably win. No, we are a Christian nation. Found on Christian principles and all of that. Well, even so, the premise has to be the same. If the king or those who are ruling for the king say, you got to pay us three cents on every pound of tea that you bring in, shouldn't we hold the same ground on every gallon of gas that we purchase? You see, one, prim- one take here is follow Caesar and pay to Caesar the things which are Caesar's for sure. But there is a line to be drawn on what is right and what is wrong. And if good people do nothing, guess what happens? Evil triumphs. It's worse. Who was it? Like maybe Gandhi? I never thought I'd quote Gandhi. Some of you need to plug your ears. Be the change you want to see in the world. Is that Gandhi or was that Mike Tyson? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) One of the two. I heard a preacher when I was a teenager say something along those lines, but it was very helpful to me as a young person. The people that have changed the world have been people the world could not change. 
We're too apathetic, church. We're too passive. You think that government leaders are afraid there's going to be an uprising of Christians in America? Not at all. These religious leaders in Jesus' day said, we better be careful what we do in regards to this Jesus man. Now, I don't want there to ever be an uprising. I'm, I'm not a violent guy. If you asked me to fight you, I'd probably just say, you win, I'm going to go eat Oreos. But <laughs> there's a healthy fear there. Now, certainly we have a biblical precedent for submitting to government. I've already seen some of you flip into Romans 13. You, you heard me say this. You're like, wait, wait, wait. What about the Bible? The Bible. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Romans 13, 7. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I agree. I'm not telling you don't pay your taxes. Don't you blame me if you get fined by the IRS because you don't pay your taxes. But there are four areas here that we find that we can submit biblically to the government. Paying our taxes, praying for our leaders, practicing civil obedience, participating in public life. You can be good American citizens and Christians at the same time in these regards. And I'll quote you from J.C. Ryle, an old theologian. He said, so long as we have liberty to worship God in Christ according to our conscience, and serve him the way of his commandments, we may safely submit to many requirements of the state, which in our own private opinion, we do not thoroughly approve. And that's where most of us will live and die our lives. But similar, we have a biblical precedent for areas that are outside of the reach of government, but somehow along the way, we've allowed, Jude calls it, uh, calls them creeps. He says they've crept in unawares. You see, there's some things that were established before there was ever any king upon the face of the earth. And there were some things that God ordained biblically for his people that are outside the realm and the reach and the scope of any king or government or constitution. The sanctity of the home is one of those things. This comes into your relationships with your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, the husband, the wife, the children to the parents. And it deals with all things, finances, education, your vocation, all of these things, the sanctity of the home should be beyond the reach of the American government. We've allowed these things to creep in and sort of rob us of this. We've let the institution be more important than the home. And then we look around and we say, we can't believe that votes are going the way they're going in our country. Where votes are going the way they're going in our country because the parents are not educating the children. The government's educating the children. So when the children raise up, they vote the way the government wants them to vote. And then the parents look to the preacher or other people in their life and they'll say, I don't know what happened. Well, today's a day to change the past. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But while you're doing this, don't leave off church in 2023, rendering to God the things that are God's. The sanctity of the church would be the second thing. I'm going to give you this up front because I'm a Baptist and there's got to be points. There's four points one way, four points the other way, right? Pay your taxes, pray for your leaders, practice civil obedience, participate in public life. The sanctity of the home, the sanctity of the church, sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life. When COVID started, the 
the church was really tested on where, how it was going to be in regards to government mandates. Joel, you're here this morning. Probably different where you are than even here. We, Tennessee's a little bit more of a freer state, I think. A lot. All right. Got a, got a witness on that. Can I get a third? <laughs> we'll take a Baptist vote on it. In the name of public health, our, the leaders of our church said, let's, let's do what we can to keep you from getting sick. We didn't want anybody to die. But as that thing drew, drew on, it, it began to be more about politics than health. It was kind of scary to watch it happen and, and think about the decisions we were having to make. And it just it was an uncomfortable situation all the way around. The thing that I came out of that concluding was, well, of course, we're always going to put health at the top priority. And here's how we're going to handle that at Harper Baptist Church. If you are sick, where should you stay? Home. Stay home. I don't want what you got. If you're catching, don't be sharing. <laughs> Write that down. That's a good one there. <laughs> I always have to check, Shanae, to see how much tr- trouble I'm in. But if the government's going to try to dictate the church, I think somewhere in there the church has to say, you know what, we're going to make our own rules. We're we're going to gather. If you don't think we should gather, that's all right. but we're still going to gather. And if you want to stop us, then you're going to have to show up and stop us. Now what does that mean? That could mean in the future that some of us go to jail. Are Are we okay with that? Let me make sure you're okay with that. That could mean that if three of the men in our church go to jail because we decided to gather when they told us not to gather, that then we have to pay those men's mortgage because they can't work to pay their mortgage and their light bill. We have to feed their families. Are you okay with that? You see, now that gets into a whole other thing because we like going to church together. But I don't, I don't want to sit next to everybody. What if it's one of those you maybe aren't comfortable sitting next to that you're having to pay their mortgage? And then you're going to get into this whole thing. Well, they shouldn't have bought such an expensive house. My house ain't that nice. You see, human nature creeps in. So the church can say we're going to be the church and we can get excited about this and we can be this sort of silent threat that, they, that the, the politicians need to know if we pass this law, the Christians won't stand for it. That, I mean, I have had this just in my lifetime. The moral majority, the, the conservative right, all of these things at one point was a thing, but man, we've just gone to hell in a handbasket to give you another one. Famous line there, right? The sanctity of church belongs to the church. There are men in this room who didn't get to attend church for a time so that they could go somewhere else and serve so that we were free to attend church. How dare we shame their service? How many veterans we got? Raise your hand if you're a veteran. How dare we shame these folks' service by not exercising our right to freely gather and worship our God? Now that's American. The sanctity of marriage. The Bible is clear. One man, one woman for one lifetime. Now that's not to mean humans don't mess things up. The Bible is also clear. If we'll confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But as the church, we should be reflecting God's glory through the sanctity of marriage and then the sanctity of life. No doubt. And we need a biblical take on the sanctity of life, not a political take on the sanctity of life. 
Sinners are always going to do sinful things in regards to all of these things. It's the church that needs to address them. We have scriptural guidelines on how each of these things are to be ordered before God, with or without a king, a constitution, or a government. Martin Luther took his stand on other issues, but like Martin Luther, we need to say, here I stand, I can do no other. I don't mean to offend and I don't mean to rile and I don't mean to cause this, but this is where we're going to be and this is how we're going to be. And if that goes against your policy, well, then you need to change the policy, not try to change the church. Let Caesar be Caesar, but let the church be the church. To show you how far we've gone as a society, I'm feeling anxious preaching this to you, and you're feeling anxious hearing me preach this, and we're probably looking over our shoulders to think, are we going to get in trouble for this one? Have they kicked us off YouTube, Jimmy? Not yet. (laughs) Shouldn't be a thing, right? This should just be... This should be normal. This should be right. This is very American. But more than that, it's very biblical. To take this text as a proof for pacifism or head in the sand living as Christians is to misunderstand the context. God didn't save us and leave us here for us to be hermits with our heads in the sand. He saved us and He left us here to be being conformed to the image of Christ and mirroring His glory throughout all of life. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If Christians were doing more of that, living to God's glory and enjoying His ways as prescribed for us in the Scriptures, that would be the greatest evangelistic witness the world ever needed. You wouldn't need a gospel track. You wouldn't need an evangelistic campaign. I'm not anti those things. I'm just saying the world would want to be saved. How do the great revivals happen? The Christians just got so in love with Jesus and so far far for God and so full of the Holy Spirit that the world around them said, I want whatever they've got. A young preacher asked Charles Spurgeon, said, I want to be like you. I want large people, or large auditoriums to fill up to come hear me preach. And Spurgeon said, it's easy. Light yourself on fire. People will come and watch you burn. This is the life we should be living as God's people. Let the church be the church. Jesus is speaking here during a time of Jews being unsettled by this Roman occupation, not a time of peace and religious freedom. Zealots were a real thing in Jesus' day. There was a guy named Simon. What was his last name? The Zealot. (laughs) These people wanted Jesus to be the solution to their political and social problems. He was there at this time not to be that, but to be the solution to their sin problem. Well, you and I live in a different time. He's already come as the solution to our sin problem. And we live in the day and age of grace. Praise the Lord for grace. And mercy, aren't you glad to live in a day where His mercies are made new every single morning? God really messed up yesterday. Well, let's try it again today. Praise the Lord. But I would submit to you that that religious freedom under grace and free by our Constitution has lulled the American Christian church to sleep. The Jews were struggling to give Caesar his. I would say in our day, we should wonder, is the church struggling to give God His? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Render to God the things that are God's. Our part is so much easier. Worship, devotion, obedience, faith, love, praise, glory. Let's stand and respond to God's Word. Are you living out the biblical model of the home? Or have you given over to the world's model? 
Have you given over to America's model? And I want you to be clear what I mean here. I don't have authority in your home. My ideas don't have to be the same ideas of yours as long as you are in charge of your home and nothing else. This includes how you rear your children, your job, all aspects of home life. How about here at the church? What should we address in relation to such a text? Are we giving to God the things that are His? How about in your marriage? Are you avoiding adultery and fornication? And we kind of grin and say, well, yeah, of course we are. What about in your heart? Are we practicing biblical gender roles? Man submitted to Christ, the woman submitted to the man. What about life? Have you even thought through your views on life lately? Do they align with the scriptures? I think we should respond to the text this morning in, in view of things. But the simple question, Father, I'll do as you've told me. I'll render to Caesar the things that are his, but I want to make sure I'm giving to you the things that are yours. Let's bow and pray and submit ourselves to that this morning.